0: some people tend to associate the term queer platonic relationship with being a very core or long term partnership that is non-romantic and while altruist attraction tends to include more casual forms of attraction of course as you'll see from all the internet debates that's not always true (laughs) and Mm -hmm. you know just like romantic and sexual and platonic relationships can have a wide range of enmeshment and commitment so can queer platonic relationships and altruist ones as well And both of these concepts are very much connected to a lot of the concepts that are attached to relationship anarchy, you know, where the terms of a relationship are decided by the people involved based on the specifics of what those people need and their connection, rather than taking on a whole set of expectations and limitations by default, like we do when we fall into these default categories of like, oh, we're gonna call this a romantic relationship or we're gonna call this a platonic relationship.
1: On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're not talking about romantic relationships. And we're not talking about platonic relationships. Or or maybe we're kind of talking about both of them. (laughs) Today, we're talking about altruist relationships and queer platonic relationships. Both of these terms are relatively new, showing up just within the past decade or so. But they have been spreading because they fill an important gap in our language about attraction and relationships. So ha- have we used these terms before? Have you heard them before? What are your relationship to these relationship terms?
0: <laughs> Until this episode, I've never heard the term altruist relationships. Me neither.
2: But definitely yeah.
0: platonic relationships for sure. For course, sure. Yeah. No problem. Super comfortable. Use that word all the time. Only yeah. semi-joking. Love it. Have used the word. <laughs> have, uh, I'm familiar with the word. To answer your question, yes.
2: Mm-hmm. But altruism, yeah, I, I'd never heard before. I didn't know that that was the thing. I was like, "What are we talking about here?"
1: Yeah, I had I had heard it, but I didn't really know what it was about or what it meant. And I was like, "I don't know if this applies to me. I don't know." But in learning about it, I'm actually have come to realize, "Actually, this is a really cool thing and a really useful term and a useful mm. concept because uh, it does Definitely. really fill a gap that's that's missing." in terms of our language and how we talk about love and attraction and relationships. But if we're going to talk about some terms that are specifically not romantic or platonic, we're actually going to start by talking about what does romantic and platonic even mean?
0: Oh, that that simple task. (laughs)
2: We're going to try our best.
1: Yeah.
0: Create antimatter and also define romantic love.
1: Yeah, easy. We'll do the easy one first and then the harder one second.
2: Okay. Exactly. (laughs) All right. Okay, so romantic love, the definition from Wikipedia is an emotional feeling of love for or a strong attraction towards another person and the courtship behaviors undertaken by an individual to express those overall feelings and resultant emotions... That was convoluted.
1: Okay. Yeah, nice try. Nice
2: try. Okay. I like okay. how
1: clinical. Yeah. Wikipedia is. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. So let's pull this one. This is from Collins Dictionary. An intensity and idealization of a love relationship in which the other is imbued with extraordinary virtue, beauty, etc., so that the relationship overrides all other considerations, including material ones.
2: Wow. What an what? extreme image that what? paints. Right. Goodness.
0: Not right? wholly okay. inaccurate of how we. Conceptualize romantic relationships in our culture, but wow.
1: Yeah. The third definition we pulled here was from a 2021 biological look at romantic love by Bode and Kushnick. It said romantic love is a motivational state typically associated with a desire for long term mating with a particular individual. <laughs>
2: I feel like good. none of these definitions are exactly it,
1: really. So they also had a hard time, and maybe they found antimatter to be easier. <laughs> well, so that's that's what I wanted us to discuss for a moment here. Is you know this is just three definitions, and there are lots out there, but all of them have this really hard time, or or, or can seem so different from each other, like these three are, and yet you always kind of read them and go. Mm. I don't know if that's quite it. But it's like yeah. but is that the problem? Is it that the definition's wrong, or is it that we maybe use romance to describe all sorts of different things at different times and it doesn't even hmm. have a consistent definition?
0: Yeah. So so to dive into the history of the word itself for for romance or romantic, it comes from French, which morphed its way into Old English. It it originally referred to verse poems, which are basically adventurous stories that were told in verse. And there's the modern French word, uh, roman, which means novel, also comes from the same root word. And so originally, they were adventure stories told in verse, but in the 17th century, the story started to include love stories. And so the word became associated with those emotions, qualities, and actions.
1: Right. And specifically love stories... Of the like chivalric knights and that whole world that involves a lot of possessiveness or even obsessiveness with this, this person that you're just so taken with that you'll sacrifice everything for them. And that, that type of, um, kind of losing oneself, I guess, in the romance was characteristic of that chivalric kind of love story that romance originally was describing, because it was about those stories. And so, while well, romance first was describing the stories, then it described kind of the actions, which is that, that the sort of the courtship and that possessiveness and obsessiveness. And I thought this was interesting, because if we go back to that definition that we looked at before, uh, the one that Dedeker read from Collins Dictionary, that talks about the other person being imbued with extraordinary virtue or beauty so that the relationship overrides all other considerations, including material ones. Like, so weird. <laughs> yeah, I could see that fitting with this kind of original concept of where romance came from. And then like the Wikipedia definition talking about, it describes these strong feelings of attraction to someone, but also describes the courtship behaviors undertaken to express those feelings and the emotions one has because of those feelings, it's like, yeah, that does seem connected to this idea that it's about like these stories of these adventures and these nights that have love involved and kind of what would be going on there actually kind of fits with that.
0: I also heard once upon a time that another marker of this chivalric romance story was that you know, the object of affection was somebody who may have already been married and someone that you couldn't even have sex with or hope to actually be with. And that was something that made it even more chivalrous and romantic that it's like you still felt so intensely for them despite all that, despite knowing that you wouldn't be able to have sex with them or marry them or whatever, but you still went out of your way and stopped at nothing to like profess your love or sacrifice things for them.
1: Interesting. So what you're saying is, that uh, <laughs> your will chooses me, but your heart chooses him.
0: Something <laughs> like of, that. Uh, s- I mean, yes. maybe I'll do anything for love, but, if parentheses, but not that. But,
1: but I won't do that. Yeah, okay.
2: <laughs> <laughs> See, I think like the real definition of love is going to be specific to each person and it'll end up in like a beat poetry type of sense. It'll be like <laughs> trust, communication, <laughs> but I don't know what uh, 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 excitement, <laughs> happiness, like something like also, that, and that's it.
0: I do just have to give a call out to Carrie Jenkins, who we had on the show many, many years ago, and her book "What Love Is and What It Could Be." Highly recommend people go check that out because that's also mm. looking at the history of our notions of romantic love, looking at it through a philosopher's lens.
1: Right, and so I think the other thing to come back to with this is that we're not talking about what is love. Don't Hurt Me, what we're talking about is what's romantic love specifically? Like, you know, when we talk about a romantic relationship or romance, what are we even talking about?
2: I do wonder if romantic love kind of devolves or not devolves, but evolves rather into something else like committed love or, you know, romantic love to me, sometimes I associate that with more of like the NRE or courtship stage of a relationship, and then it becomes
1: something else as time goes on, potentially. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. It, I mean, there's definitely people who study, you know, forms of love, who like, that's kind of the specific thing that they study is kind of the the evolution or the progress through different sorts of love, or maybe the distinctions between different types. But I think, The reason why romance and romantic love is worth spending some time talking about is because so often we use it as, yeah, yeah, we can talk about all these different forms of love and different types of attraction, but we kind of define relationships into one of two categories. They're either romantic or they're platonic. And that when you really look at the the definitions and how they're used, and if you ask people for their definition of it, you're going to get a bunch of different definitions that are like neither of those are so in like are large enough to be these are the only two categories. And mm. yet that is still how we categorize relationships. And I don't think that's in itself a bad thing. You know, I think it's useful to kind of have a way to distinguish them, but it, I think it's worth getting some clarity on what we mean by these distinctions. You know, what is romantic? One of the other things to note about romantic love is that I came across things from several anthropologists who, over the years, study cultures that were not uh, not completely taken over by European culture, like so many have been, uh, and that they stated that in a lot of those cultures, they lack the same sense of romance as we know it, that we kind of take it for granted it's either romantic or it's platonic, but that their romance might not include the same feelings of monogamy and jealousy and exclusiveness and possessiveness and those things that we associate with romance largely because of it growing out of this chivalric sort of Mm. way of thinking. So I thought that was pretty interesting, too.
2: Yeah, that's fascinating. Wow. (laughs) I'm like, I want to know more about those other cultures and what we can take from them (laughs) in our own view of love over here in the West. Uh, Right. Yeah. Alrighty, let's talk now about platonic love. So, we're gonna throw some more definitions at you. The first one is from Merriam-Webster Dictionary. It is, love conceived by Plato as ascending from passion for the individual to contemplation of the universal and ideal. What? (laughs) What?
1: As love that ascends from passion for an individual to contemplation uh, of the universal and the ideal.
0: So it's like your gateway to the doors being blown off your reality and just having a total stoner whoa moment about the whole <laughs> That's universe.
2: tonic. Oh oh really? Oh because it's like a pl- it's like a Plato thing as opposed to like the word platonic is that what it's getting at?
1: Well that's where the word comes that's from. That's where the word from comes Plato's from. Plato's yeah, name. Plato yeah. platonic. Got <laughs> right, it. Right.
2: But Plato's like rocking your freaking
1: world is what you're saying. <laughs> right. You're you're transcending passion for one person to just like contemplation <laughs> like, of the universe and t- truth and things like that.
0: I mean, that that echoes some sentiments i've heard in some more like new agey hippy dippy spaces around romantic love and also around specifically non-monogamous love as well the idea that this love is kind of the gateway or the pathway that opens us up to this deeper love of the entire universe Mm. or of all beings you know that it helps Mm, us tap into that in some way sounds like you're on mdma i mean i think that's the (laughs) shortcut for a lot of people but
2: sure (laughs) <laughs> Got it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Super far out. Very cool. The second definition from Merriam-Webster is a close relationship between two persons in which sexual desire is non-existent or has been suppressed or sublimated. That's interesting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I would like you were gonna say. I
0: just—it's interesting that they got those those flavors in there of suppressed or sublimated as well. I know, yeah, I I,
2: because that almost makes it sound like the people kind of want to, but we're not going to, or we want to, but we're deciding this is going to be firmly
1: platonic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that is a really interesting distinction. As I was learning more about sort of the history and usage and definitions, was that that is part of what platonic means. And actually, in a lot of the usage, it was used specifically to describe relationships between heterosexual, opposite-sex people who, by all accounts, should want to do it, uh, but either either don't have that desire or very often are intentionally suppressing that. Which kind of brings Mm -hmm. us back to what you were talking about, Dedeker, with the chivalric love of the kind of i feel this but i can't do that so i'm suppressing it or maybe sublimating it into some other thing like loyalty to guinevere or jousting or jousting or something like like
0: that putting all my sexual listen uh, we uh, we all frustration
1: I mean, it makes
2: sense. Exactly. Yeah, I'm saying, like, we all know how that turned out. Like, she ended up kissing him, and yikes, that that didn't end up well. Mm, but not yeah. that that has to happen for everyone. They could have remained friends, and that was that could have been it. Right, right. Um, In, uh,
0: I have to clarify, that's how it went down in the 1995 film First Night, starring <laughs> Richard Gere, Sean Connery, and Julia Ormond. That's, oh, love her. That's, that was their telling of the story.
1: Yes,
2: yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not that that actually happened, but (laughs) all right, let's talk about this real quick. Plato never used the term platonic love or talked about it as such. Rather, the term is kind of grown out of this idea that the highest form of love is a love of divinity and for the conceptual ideas of the universe, rather than just this interpersonal sexual love. That's kind of interesting because I do think, I mean, and I don't necessarily want to conflate it with like religion, but... When I hear people talking about religion or a higher being, they're like, that comes first, like above even my love of my spouse or my kids, for example. I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but it's fascinating. I mean, it feels connected
0: to me in a lot of cultures and schools of thought. There's still this very sticky, persistent idea of we put things connected to the body and the needs of the body at the bottom of the ladder and then we put things connected to the mind or our sense of Mm. spirituality or a sense of you know connection to the universe at the top of the ladder and that shows up everywhere from christianity to i mean things even like the chakras right it's like your root chakra is like in your pelvis like right in your crotch there and that's like the lowest one versus your your crown chakra which is like your super spiritual and that's like your your highest one and so this is a theme that
2: shows up a lot Mm -hmm. if you're doing a downward dog, it becomes the highest one, your (laughs) root chakra. True, true, true. Or if you're in an inversion... Mm -hmm. There's a lot of positions where your root
0: chakra becomes the highest one, if you know what I mean. Yeah, quite,
2: indeed. (laughs) So Plato did describe the levels of love as a ladder, just like you were talking about with the sexual lust at the bottom, and then as you move up, you stop paying attention to the physical form at all, and then you just like move towards... Love of divinity and being one with the universe, basically. How beautiful. I don't know. I mean, again, it sounds like he was on a lot of drugs. Like, good for him. Like, have some fun, but fascinating. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like I'm a little more, like, grounded on my interpersonal relationships rather than <laughs> my oneness with the
1: universe. I do think it's interesting, though, that the if we took this term from Plato talking about love, Mm -hmm. It seems like the way we use it is completely not referring to that at all. And so it is kind of weird how this one even more so than the other romance, or the other love, the romantic love we talked about, is even farther from kind of where it originally came out of, at least in how we use it today.
2: That's true.
0: Now, here's an interesting definition of of platonic love from Britannica. So, quote, In common speech, Platonic love means a supremely affectionate relationship between human beings in which sexual intercourse is neither desired nor practiced. In this sense, it most often refers to a heterosexual relationship, so like Jace was saying. Uh, Mm -hmm. And by extension, it may be used to cover that stage of chivalrous or courtly love in which sexual intercourse is indefinitely postponed. From the Renaissance to the end of the 19th century, the term Platonic love was also used as an occasional euphemism for homosexual love in view of the comparatively tolerant attitude to such love discernible in Plato as well as in other Greek
2: authors.
1: Fascinating. Right. So, you know, the whole thing about uh, finding like my other half or whatever, that, that idea that it comes from this story from Plato's Symposium... I think was the one that that came from. The idea that humans were originally these beings that shared one body and had two sets of legs and two arms and two faces looking opposite directions and that at some point we were split apart. And so we're kind of on this eternal quest to find our other half. Uh, that in that story, he specifically says, and there were three types of these beings. There were the ones that were two males, male-female, and two females. And so that idea of maybe platonic love also referring to how they were much more kind of accepting of that than people were in the 19th century.
0: Oh, it's like that Hedwig song.
1: Yeah. Which yeah. one
0: Yes. Yeah, The Origin of Love. It's basically ah. that
2: exactly.
1: Yeah. I mean that's, that's telling lovely. the same story. Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Interesting. But again, yeah, the sexual intercourse thing is the one that kind of differentiates it. I guess that makes sense, but yeah, it, it leaves out people who are asexual, for example, mm-hmm. or a variety of other things. So yeah, I don't know. And that's, I wonder if that's like the only thing that creates the differentiation there.
1: And Yeah, and that's the weird interesting part when I was trying to get to the bottom of this, where I was like, okay, generally speaking, or when we think of romantic relationship or like a romance novel or a romance book, it's that you have two people who want to have sex with each other. And, and also feel affectionate toward each other and probably want to keep having sex with each other for a long time. That's kind of like, those are the defining traits we think of for that. And maybe possessiveness too, or, or, or monogamy or something. And mm-hmm. then when we think platonic, we think you close relationship, but, but no sex, whether that's cause you don't want it or you just can't do it. But either way, it's, that's platonic. But then it is this weird thing of like, if we're trying to imagine that these are defining traits of love, and then you say, okay, well, what if you took sex out entirely? Are they still different from each other? And I was hoping to get to sort of the bottom of what that might be. And it kind of, it all sort of falls apart because it does seem like that's kind of the only difference. And I don't think it really yeah. is in how we talk about it. Like there's other sort of romantic gestures and things like, you know, holding hands or, or kissing or whatever. But, some Can friends do that. Some though? friends do that, and some cultures do that more than others. And so it's just yeah, it's just weird to me that we have these two categories that we talk about as if like these are the two categories, and yet even they don't hold up to much scrutiny. You know. Mm.
0: Yeah, I did an interview recently on Australian radio about... It was a very like polyamory 101 style interview. And, you know, like all the typical stuff, it's like you get to the point of answering those same questions over and over. Like, I feel like I could do it in my sleep at this point. But I mean, that same argument where you're trying to point out to people like, Hey, you know, you manage having multiple close friends. You manage having multiple close family members. You manage having multiple children. Like, it's all the same skills really being mm-hmm. pulled on and yeah one of the hosts was like oh uh, i'm not gonna do a terrible australian accident as much as i was getting
1: stoked
2: sorry i'm just sorry for all of our australian myself. listeners <laughs> <laughs> so sorry <laughs> it's just
0: gonna be bad or uh, no i can't no i'm not even gonna do it okay. just yeah <laughs> only behind closed doors for that one um <laughs> <laughs> no, but one of the hosts was asking, "Oh, but but the but the intimacy, you know, there's there's intimacy that like makes that different." And I did try You're to like, push him hey. on that of like, "Okay, by like, intimacy, do you just mean sex?" Right. Like do exactly. you just yeah, mean I'm that it's sex so is sex. the only thing yeah. that makes your like relationship with your wife at all any different from your relationship with your best friend? And you know, he's like, oh well, no, 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 like not just sex, but also couldn't quite put into words what it actually was. And yep. so it is that weird thing where on the one hand, I think again, we're we're trained to think in this binary of sexual relationship, non-sexual relationship. And yeah. yeah, we also know that just because sex is happening does not mean that there's romance happening or love happening or actual partnership happening. And it's like it's like a very incomplete discussion on these things.
2: Yeah, and I think it's, again, in our society and Western culture and society here in America, especially, we place so much, I guess, on the sexual romantic relationship and the possibility of marriage and all of that because they're the people that get all the tax breaks and, you know, mm-hmm. it's seen as the the highest form of what human beings can accomplish in a unit, I guess, to a lot of people like this is the pinnacle this is the thing that we're all striving for um and it's yeah that's challenging i think at times because it it discounts the other types of relationships that we can have
1: in our lives yeah and something we'll get into more in the second half of this episode too is how it also kind of the way we talk about them sets up this kind of hierarchy where it's like yeah platonic relationships are cool and all but like the ultimate ones, romance, which is why we say things like, "Oh, well, it's, this is less than romance, but more than platonic," or, or something like that. Of mm. we're kind of unconsciously setting up this hierarchy of romantic ones, basically the relationships where you fuck each other are somehow more important, or they're higher, yeah. or better, or more desirable, or something like that. So it's it's just interesting how baked into all of our language and all of our culture that is, and yeah. so yeah. We're going to talk about some terms that are challenging that right after we take a quick break to talk about some of our sponsors for this show. If you could take a moment to check them out, it helps us to keep this show going and keep it coming to all of y'all out there for free. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring.
2: A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh?
1: Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style
2: games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No by law. 18+ terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: For a long time now, we've been fans of AdamAndEve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection.
0: we are going to dive right into talking about the term queer platonic. So, you know, this is all new language that we're talking about here, you know, literally coined in the last two decades or less, Mm. I would say. So, queer platonic relationship, or sometimes shortened to QPR, that was first coined on specifically December 24th, 2010, it showed up in an online thread called Kaz's Scribblings. And clearly, it filled a need that was there because the term caught on and spread throughout the queer community.
2: Like wildfire. Yeah. Mm. (laughs) All right, so it came out of the need for a term to describe the desire for an aromantic relationship that was not strictly defined into one of the two categories that we were just talking about, romantic or platonic. And being part of the queer community and having queer in the name is because part of what defines a queer platonic relationship is that it doesn't necessarily abide by traditional heteronormative rules it can bend them it can exist outside of what is you know quote unquote normally accepted in platonic relationships
1: yeah and i think that's the key there and because i've i've struggled with this term in the past when i've heard it where i'm just sort of like i can't quite parse it and I'm like, queer platonic. Like, what do you, what does it mean? And I think that that makes sense when you kind of get more into queer, meaning specifically that it's not fitting into the conventions. And so it's like, it's, it's platonic, but it's queer. So it's outside of that. It's, it's different than that. It can have different things than that, I guess is, is how it makes sense in my head, at least of like why this term mm. is the term that's been used for it. Uh there are other terms that that have been used over the years. Um they all tend to share similar letters. Uh but other variations are quasi platonic, quirky platonic, or just q platonic with a capital q. And it does tend to though involve deep long-lasting relationships. It's kind of a a core relationship or a very serious relationship. Uh not always that that tends to be what goes along with queer platonic. And the thing about it is being queer, meaning it's sort of outside of categorization in some ways, because it doesn't need to abide by the rules of either being romantic or being platonic, there's a lot of room inside of that category. So there could be sex involved. There could be romantic gestures like holding hands or kissing. But generally speaking, those are not as much like defining parts of the relationship as they would be in, say, a romantic relationship, or one that people would define as romantic. And I thought that was interesting, because that ties in with this relationship anarchy idea that we've talked about before on the show. It's been a little while since we've talked about relationship anarchy too much. But basically, this idea that in society, it tends to be, okay, we're dating like we're in a romantic relationship and so therefore we've adopted this whole set of expectations of here's the mm. things that i expect that we will do and that everyone else will expect that we do because we're in a relationship we call a romantic one like have sex kiss each other um, potentially want to live together you know lots of things like that right that just kind of come prepackaged it's like a prefix menu at <laughs> The restaurant, right? You kinda you can maybe customize it a little bit, like which entree do you want, or which dessert, but it's still gonna follow pretty much the same shape. Right. And then on the other hand, if you're platonic and you say we have a platonic relationship, there's similarly a list of kind of unspoken expectations of this is what will be in that, and then also this is what will not be in it, mostly sex, right? That will not be in it. And so, this idea I'll of I'll do anything platonic, for a
0: platonic friendship.
1: Yeah. But not that. <laughs> but not that. I won't do that because it's out of bounds. You know, that's, yeah. that's not in the contract. And so, yeah. So, in a queer platonic relationship, you might decide to raise kids together or buy a house together or plan your lives together. Things that normally we think of only happening in a romantic relationship, those could still happen in a queer platonic relationship.
2: Yeah, essentially, this term is kind of outside of the boxes that platonic and romantic relationships sort of are set in what we would describe them as being. And, you know, maybe just off the top of our head, when we think of platonic versus romantic, those boxes are kind of set up, they're they're prepackaged, like Jace was saying. But, yeah, this queer platonic identity or or what this kind of relationship is... It's ultimately for the people involved to kind of decide, like, hey, we're going to be the ones setting the terms and deciding what's right for us in terms of what this relationship is going to look like. It does again, remind me of Carrie uh, Jenkins book and, yeah, just that decision making about like what love is and what it can be, like what this type of relationship is and what it can be. So it doesn't necessarily need to adhere to a particular model of how the relationship should look, which is pretty cool. And just a side note, it's important to understand that this term was created by and for the queer community, so it can feel appropriative or inappropriate for straight cis people to use it to describe their relationships. However, we're about to talk about another term. Our next term is going to maybe be for you if this feels similar to how you would describe a relationship in your life, but you do happen to be cis or straight and or straight.
0: And that leads us to our next term, which is alterous attraction. So this is the definition pulled straight from the LGBTA wiki. Quote, attraction is a form of emotional attraction. It describes a feeling that is not necessarily platonic, but also is not romantic in nature. For some, it may be in between romantic and platonic attraction, and for others, it may be completely separate from the romantic-platonic distinction." So this term altruist attraction was introduced around 2015, but there isn't really a clear original source. Usually, whenever you speak that into the universe, inevitably there's someone who comes to the surface being like, I made that. Me. Me. (laughs) (laughs) It was (laughs) me. And they're usually a little angry about it. Yeah.
2: (laughs) It was me all along. It's
0: a me. So and of course, while this term mostly describes the same concepts as clear platonic relationships it's okay for anyone to use just to describe themselves or others. It's not specifically tied to the relationship or to the participants being queer. Although it did also come out of that community just like the term you know, queer platonic relationships did.
1: Yeah, it describes that same thing, right? Of that pull toward emotional closeness or intense feelings for another person that don't feel strictly platonic, but they're also not romantic, which generally... This, this tends to go along with the asexual, aromantic, ace uh, spectrum of things, where it's kind of like, well, usually it's because, well, I don't want to have sex with this person. Or maybe that's just not a significant part. It doesn't have to just be that, but that tends to be where both of these terms come in, is relationships where sex is not kind of the driving factor in that relationship, as it as it often is with something we would think of as just a normal romantic relationship. Now, even in trying to describe it, it's kind of hard to avoid saying things like, well, it's like a relationship that's more than platonic, but not quite romantic. Almost setting it up as if it's between and that platonic is less than, right? And romantic Mm. is more than. And it's hard to avoid that temptation, but there has been a push to really intentionally move away from descriptions like that because that implies this hierarchy where romance is still somehow the best or the most and that platonic is somehow weaker than that and that this is sort of medium strength
2: i appreciate that it's a different word entirely from romantic or platonic yeah yes yeah it that helps. is yeah it takes those the ideas of what those two relationships are kind of out of the picture, which is cool. Yeah. Now,
1: something I will caution is that your autocorrect may try to change it into adulterous relationship no, instead no, of no, adulterous. No, 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 no. Just be aware. No. no, no. <laughs> be aware your autocorrect <laughs> may have a hard time with it. That's <laughs> funny. Amazing. Yeah, I looked and looked and looked, and I could not find. An origin of the word alterus. I think that it is entirely 100. This is the meaning. This is where it came from. Mm. I don't know if it comes from alt mm. as in like alternative, perhaps. Mm. Uh, I'm I'm not sure, but but when you try to look up like definition or origin, all of it's just queer blogs and sites talking about altruist attraction and altruist relationships. So. I thought that was interesting. If anyone out there is a linguist and you actually do know something more about the roots of this, uh, hit me up. Let me know. Because I've been really curious about this while I was researching this episode. So uh, so anyway, yeah, to go back to this idea of moving away from talking about it being you know, more than platonic or less than romantic, and that's that you know many people, including us, prefer to think of it as being just something different. That it's a different type of relationship rather than being less than or more than. And as we got into earlier, even the terms romantic and platonic may carry some connotations that you don't even intend to put into those when Mm. you're describing them. So just kind of, I don't know, it points out some weaknesses in our language for sure. And going along with that is that the aromantic community has worked very hard to combat the stigma of platonic, meaning just friends in that mm. kind of negative or less than. It's just that. like, it's it, Wish there could be more, but it's just this, as in that's lacking somehow. So really trying to, to yeah. get away from that way of thinking about it. And so that's why I like having these other words to use to just sort of point out the fact that there's a lot more variation here than our normal ways of talking do. and And we struggle with that on this show, I think. Like, I often find myself mm trying to sort of describe how something could apply in a romantic relationship and also in platonic relationships. And I in the back of my head, I'm always going, but what am I really trying to say? Like, do, do I need mm, to I clarify can... that? Yeah, they're similar. But if I just say relationships, people assume romantic relationships. And so it gets into this weird mm. thing of like, how do I communicate in a way that's as accurate as possible, but also understandable to people, which is ultimately the purpose of language, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. I I appreciate having these terms because I I mean I also struggle in my own personal life and over the course of my like my own personal history of having such a wide variety of relationships a lot of which fall into this space you mm-hmm. know where often for me it's been like well what counts as having a partner at a certain point <laughs> yeah. how many partners do I have does this person count <laughs> even though I like almost never see them and but and like we stopped having sex years ago, but there's still a lot of love there. Like I, you know, I don't mm. know, and so I do think that clearly there there is very much a need for a lot of people to be able to attach some kind of word or label to this.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's talk about the comparisons and the contrasting elements of both of these terms: so altruist love and queer platonic love, or queer platonic relationships. And both of these terms describe non-romantic relationships. They were both coined by the queer community. And both terms can be used for people having a sexual relationship, but not necessarily. And some people use them interchangeably, but others think that they're different. I don't really know. They sound pretty similar to me. (laughs) But maybe
1: they're different. This is a hot, hot topic of debate on forums. Sometimes, I honestly, contested. within
0: this community, like anyone who's outside the mainstream, if it comes to d- debating a label, that's it's you know.
1: We love it. We're all yeah. over it.
0: Low hanging
2: fruit, Show. yeah, indeed. And also, altruists, as we said before, it can be used by and for anyone. But queer platonic should generally be reserved for people who identify as queer and whose relationships are queer. And some people
0: tend to associate the term queer platonic relationship with being a very core or long-term partnership that is non-romantic, and while altruist attraction tends to include more casual forms of attraction. Of course, as you'll see from all the internet debates, that's not always true. (laughs) And, Mm. you know, just like romantic and sexual and platonic relationships can have a wide range of enmeshment and commitment, so can queer platonic relationships and altruist ones as well. And both of these concepts are very much connected to a lot of the concepts that are attached to relationship anarchy, you know, where the terms of a relationship are decided by the people involved based on the specifics of what those people need and their connection rather than taking on a whole set of expectations and limitations by default like we do when we fall into these default categories of like oh we're going to call this a romantic relationship or we're going to call this a platonic relationship.
1: Mhm. Yeah. So I really enjoyed both exploring queer platonic relationship and alterous relationships as terms, but also just getting a little deeper into romantic and platonic as their own labels with their own histories and baggage and all that stuff they 're just like us. they have histories and baggage <laughs> indeed <laughs> uh, most things do yeah. yeah but i think I think both these terms are really important to know because at the very least, they help illustrate the range of important relationships that we can have with people and how different these can be. And I really like that they go against this stigma and stereotype that we're somehow less valuable or less deserving of love or less mature if we don't have a romantic relationship. And I really like that this is kind of just saying like, hey, what if we stopped even thinking about it in that kind of a a binary way? right and and tried as a step toward moving away from that which we've talked about many times on this show this whole mm-hmm. these these incorrect assumptions about how people who are not in a romantic or sexual relationship actually feel or actually identify or their success or their responsibility or all those things that we've just got so much baggage that we put on that that's not based in anything true and it's really sad and unfortunate so i like that this is at least a step outside of that
2: absolutely and we are going to leave you with a quote from sharonda j brown from where Your Voice, i really like this quote when we don't recognize the true value efficacy and gravity of non-romantic relationships like those in our real lives It leaves too many people forcing themselves into romantic entanglements that were never meant to be. A trap that I fell into before understanding and accepting my A-spec identity. Affirming that I have always had the capacity to experience love in abundance and in valid ways that come naturally and feel right to me. To be able to challenge the narrative that I would be eternally empty unwanted and without purpose living a life unencumbered by romance was necessary for me to find a better way of
1: loving myself. Yeah. Beautiful. It's really beautiful. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I found that that quote to be really moving. Cause even though mm-hmm. I don't identify as being aromantic or asexual, that concept of how often I've felt strongly about a person and either tried to make that into a romantic relationship when really that wasn't the right fit for us. Or mm-hmm limited or restricted myself from something because it's like oh it's platonic so it can't be that serious and just mm. to be free from that boy if i could go back in time it'd be a nice thing mm.
0: if i could turn that's what i was gonna time. Time. <laughs> if Love you could it.
2: find I mean, a way a yeah if uh, it's yeah. sheriff's so yeah. area been a lot of you gotta go to karaoke now
1: musical references in this episode i'm yeah. into that anything like love related that makes a lot of that's, sense yeah. that's what
2: all love that's what most songs <laughs> are about
1: yeah all right so for our bonus for this episode we're going to be talking a little bit about platonic marriages uh, a trend that perhaps is growing or perhaps has always been here and we're just now discovering it hmm. and for our weekly question this week we want to know have you ever held yourself back from a relationship just because it was platonic or invested yourself less in a relationship simply because it was platonic? We would love to hear from you. Also, if you want to talk about this episode, the best place to share your thoughts with other listeners is on this episode's discussion thread in our private Facebook group or Discord chat. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com multiamory. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram multi is created and produced by Emily Matlack, Dedeker Winston, and me, Jace Lindgren. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvanera. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our production assistants are Rachel Schenewerk and Carson Collins. The researcher for this episode is M. Mays. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com.